Book Two, Chapter Two of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book Two, Chapter Two. Bonaparte cannot be turned from undertaking an expedition against Toussaint. Resolves on the enterprise in order chiefly to get rid of his Republican associates in arms. Restores slavery and the slave trade. Accepts Haiti from the decree. Misleads Toussaint's sons. Dispatches an armament under Leclerc. In vain was it that Vincent, who had attempted to dissuade Toussaint against the adventure of a constitution, now employed his honest and prudent arguments to turn aside Bonaparte from the intended expedition against San Domingo. Disregardful of the effect which his advice might have on himself, he urged on the consul that the victorious warriors of Europe would lose their energy, together with their strength, under the climate of the Antilles, that such a climate would annihilate the army, even if the ascendancy of Toussaint L'Ouverture over the inhabitants did not succeed in destroying it by arms. He added the consideration of the probability that the English would openly or secretly endeavor to traverse his object and frustrate his attempt. To the last remark, Bonaparte answered, The cabinet of St. James has been disposed to set itself in opposition to my sending a squadron to St. Domingo. I have notified it that, if it did not consent, I would send to Toussaint unlimited powers and acknowledge him as independent. It has said no more to me on the point. If this is correct, England, it may be presumed, was influenced by fear for the effects of such a recognition on her neighboring slave colony of Jamaica. Thus does wrong support wrong. Having effected nothing in conversation, Vincent addressed to the consul a written document, in which, after setting forth the means of defense which the colony possessed, he said, At the head of so many resources is a man the most active and indefatigable that can possibly be imagined. It may be strictly said that he is everywhere, and especially at the spot where sound judgment and danger would say that his presence is most essential. His great moderation, his power, peculiar to himself, of never needing rest, the advantage he has of being able to resume the labors of the cabinet after laborious journeys, of replying to a hundred letters every day, and of habitually fatiguing five secretaries. More still, the skill of amusing and deceiving everybody, carried even to deceit, make him a man so superior to all around him that respect and submission go to the extent of fanaticism in a very great number of persons. It may be affirmed that no man of the present day has acquired over an ignorant mass the boundless power obtained by General Toussaint over his brethren in San Domingo. He is the absolute master of the island, and nothing can counteract his wishes, whatever they are, although some distinguished men, of whom, however, the number among the blacks is very small, know and fear the extent to which his views proceed. Bonaparte was displeased at the frankness of these representations, and banished Vincent, their author, to the island of Elba, whither, at a later period, he was himself to be banished. 
resolved to disembarrass himself of the veterans in union with whom he had gained his renown but who now from their strong republican sympathies blocked up his way to the imperial throne he called a council to deliberate on the most effectual means to be taken in order to bring toussaint under his yoke the members of the council were of course bonaparte's creatures their desire to please the real sovereign of the land was stronger than their professed attachment to liberty the councillors recommended the employment of force in order to re-establish slavery a large number proposed that for the sake of terror those whom they characterized as the guilty should be decimated the bishop of blois gregory that immortal friend of the cause of the blacks had not given his opinion what do you think on the matter asked the council i think he replied that the hearing of such speeches suffices to show that they are uttered by whites if these gentlemen were this moment to change color they would talk differently the restoration of slavery was resolved in the legislative body by a vote of two hundred and twelve against sixty-five such was the love of frenchmen for liberty for the rights of man for the rights of their fellow citizens for the freedom of the black population of haiti the determination of itself justifies the course pursued by toussaint l'ouverture his constitution may prove an ineffectual guarantee of the hardly earned liberties of his color but clearly it afforded the only feasible chance of perpetuating the good he had wrought out on the twentieth of may eighteen o one bonaparte published the infamous decree which placed the french colonies in the state in which they were before the year seventeen eighty nine and which authorizing the slave trade abrogated all laws to the contrary this execrable measure marks the real character of the corsican adventurer and hands his name down to posterity covered with disgrace soon however did he find that in an evil hour he had overstepped the limits of prudence and therefore he put forth another decree which hypocritically accepted san domingo and guadalupe because these islands are free not only by right but in fact whilst the other colonies are actually in slavery and it would be dangerous to put an end to that state of things the preparation of the public mind for the unjust and wicked attempt to put down liberty in san domingo was aided by the less obvious but powerful efforts not only of the colonists in general but by the mulattoes who dwelt at paris of whom rigaud may be considered as the head overcome and exiled by toussaint rigaud panted for revenge in that vindictive sentiment he well represented his race who could not forgive the black president for having extorted the freedom of his color out of their hands there were in paris two young men who looked on the arrangements for the expedition which they saw everywhere proceeding with anxiety and alarm these were isaac and placida l'ouverture sons of the liberator of haiti whom as a testimony of his confidence and a pledge of his fidelity their father had sent to paris for their education they both resided in the college la marche of which conon was the principal the consul judged it politic to throw a veil over their eyes intending to destroy the father he had no scruples of conscience about deluding the sons conon their teacher being gained over assured the young men that the french government had none but pacific views a few days afterward he received a letter from the minister of marine apprising him that the consul wished to see and converse with his pupils before their departure 
repairing to the minister's residence they received in the presence of conon a confirmation of his statement that the intentions of the government were of a friendly nature they were then conducted to bonaparte who the better to conceal his real purposes received them in a flattering manner having ascertained which of the two was toussaint's own son he said to him your father is a great man he has rendered eminent services to france you will tell him that i the first magistrate of the french people promise him protection glory and honor do not think that france intends to carry war to san domingo the army which it sends thither is destined not to attack the troops of the country but to augment their numbers here is general leclerc my brother-in-law whom i have appointed captain-general and who will command that armament orders have been given for you to arrive at san domingo a fortnight before the fleet to announce to your father the coming of the expedition on the next day the delusion was carried still farther for the minister of marine as a kind of practical assurance how well toussaint and his children stood with the highest authorities entertained the young men at a magnificent repast and shortly after in order to complete the farce by an appeal to negro vanity he in the name of his government presented to them a superb suit of armor and a rich and brilliant military costume it scarcely needs be stated that the promise that the youths should have time to assure their father of the pacific intentions of france was not observed having answered its momentary purpose it was openly and deliberately violated the real design of all this collusion was that misled by the reports of his sons in paris toussaint l'ouverture might be taken off his guard alas that in the crisis of his fate he should have given credit to men who blushed not to deal in falsehood it has already appeared from the consul's own words that he had chosen leclerc who was the husband of his sister pauline to be at the head of the expedition bonaparte was well pleased to have the opportunity of separating himself from leclerc whom he regarded as a relative little worthy of his present and his future greatness the obscure birth of leclerc in the small town of pontoise disquieted his pride every day there came to paris persons of low condition who gave themselves out as relatives of the consul's sister that sister possessed so rare a beauty that canova reproduced her features in his statue of venus victrix victorious venus to personal charms she added subtlety and grace of mind her looks awakened desires in the most indifferent hearts she gathered around her all the artifices of voluptuousness in her furniture she was luxurious elegant in her personal decorations and choice in the persons attached to her suite she was attended by painters musicians and buffoons pauline accompanied her husband in the expedition leclerc was small in stature but he had vivacity of mind and grace of manner in countenance he was thought to bear some resemblance to the consul though he had shown some courage and perseverance in the campaigns of the alps and the rhine he was little else than the blind instrument of his brother-in-law whom he imitated in war as well as in peace with a closeness which betokened a contracted intellect from such a man was expected the final settlement of the long quarrel of color in san domingo the preparations for the armaments were made in different ports no expense was spared 
Holland, then under the dominion of France and Spain, kept in alliance with it by fear, furnished ships. The fleet, when collected, was composed of twenty-one frigates and thirty-five vessels of war. It had on board all the best sailors of France, and was commanded by Villaret Joyeuse. In December 1801, portions of it left the ports of Brest, Roquefort, and Lorient. The rest were to sail from other points. The ocean was covered with ships in order to punish a contumacious slave. The magnitude of the equipment is a measure of Toussaint's power. This fleet bore to Haiti one of the most valiant of armies. The Alps, Italy, the Rhine, and the Nile resounded with the exploits of the veterans who formed its strength. They now left lands which boasted of their civilization to carry chains to a people who, uncultured though they were, had vindicated their freedom and used that freedom wisely. As soon as the fleet had anchored off Cape Samana, at the eastern end of San Domingo, Leclerc numbered his sea and land forces, including others which he expected. They amounted to sixty ships and more than thirty thousand men, commanded by generals and captains of experience and renown. Among them were men of color, who had become illustrious in the sanguinary struggle for emancipation. There was found Rigaud, whose valor had disputed the laurel with Toussaint himself. There was found Petion, who, under a mild physiognomy, bore a lofty spirit. He was destined to found and govern a republic in the island he took part in invading. There was found Boyer, his illustrious successor, who, by a treaty with the King of France, was one day to secure the permanent independence of his native land. Footnote. Boyer was a man of talent, but I cannot understand why he should be called illustrious. The treaty with France was characterized at the time by many of the best men of Haiti as an act of abject cowardice. Certainly there was nothing illustrious in it. It may have been politic, but it was not heroic, for it was signed under threats of bombardment. Editor. End of footnote. All these mulatto chiefs had consented to second the expedition with their counsel, their courage, and their example. On the other side, the forces of Toussaint consisted at most of 16,000 men, five in the north, four in the west, four in the south, and three in what was formerly the Spanish territory. These troops, thus scattered, were, however, commanded by captains well trained to mountain warfare. All were animated by the love of freedom, which they cherished the more, because they had acquired it at the cost of labor, peril, and bloodshed. Everywhere the Haitian army would find auxiliaries, soldiers, women, children, citizens, had all lived in the camps of the civil wars. Full of recollections of their former servitude, they were ready to perish sooner than submit. The gathering of the fleet at Samana took several weeks. The effect of a sudden descent was lost. On hearing that a fleet was approaching the island, Toussaint L'Ouverture threw the bridle over his horse's neck and galloped to Cape Samana to reconnoitre the squadrons. Unversed in marine affairs, he at first took the maneuvering for hesitation. But as the vessels anchored in their several places, having never seen so large a fleet before, he was struck with astonishment, and, feeling for a moment discouraged, he exclaimed to his officers, We must perish. All France is coming to San Domingo. It has been deceived. It comes to take revenge and enslave the blacks. 
Convinced as he was of the hostile designs of the armament, Toussaint could not deny that its heralds had announced friendship. As little did he possess the right of making war against the forces of the country to which he professed allegiance. Had he already proclaimed the independence of Haiti, he would have been relieved from the perplexity of a dubious position. Even had he at this last moment proclaimed independence, he would have been saved from the evils of vacillation. But being neither at peace nor at war with his assailants, he labored under a great disadvantage. However, he made such arrangements as his unhappy position permitted. To act on the defensive was compulsory on him in the circumstances, and probably such a policy was every way the best. Should the armament prove really hostile, should it attack the island, then resistance must be made, and if defeat ensued, there were the mountains for a retreat, and a succession of strongholds where an almost unlimited defense might be maintained. At length, the fleet put itself in movement. After having detached Kerverseau to go and take possession of the city of San Domingo, Leclerc directed the armament in three divisions against three principal points, Fort Dauphin and the city of the Cape in the north, and Port-au-Prince in the west. The island was thus invested. No declaration of war was made, no negotiations were opened. The squadrons sailed to the several points as if they approached a friendly shore, and as a matter of course entered friendly harbors. Nor could they be challenged. Toussaint possessed no vessels, and if he had vessels, was he not a French subject, and were these not French ships and French commanders? It was not possible for Isaac and Placida L'Ouverture any longer to doubt the nature of the errand on which the armament had been sent. They drew up, in writing, remonstrances which they presented to Leclerc, who, doubtless, smiled in his thoughts at their easy faith. End of Book Two, Chapter Two Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista